one, two, three, four, five. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We are on episode 80. Big 8 0. Another 10 down the line. That sounded better in my head. <laughs> yeah. It's big, though. It's a big number. It is. It's it's even bigger than 70. No, what I mean is, like, when you say 79, it's like, wow, it's 79, but 80 is like... Oh, yeah. It's one of the reasons why, you know, when you see things in stores, they cost, like, something 99, because it looks yeah. like a smaller number. I hate that. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we've, we've actually got a decently packed show. Um, we've got a few topics. We have no idea if they're going to carry us for long or short, but we've got a lot of them. We may not get to all of them. Uh, for segment two, though, we've got another book review. Blue has been uh, pestering me to read this ever since he found out I had never read nor heard the radio play of it, uh, War of the Worlds. Uh, so that will be coming out for segment three. Um, but yeah, did I say segment two the first time? He's giving yes, me a look. <laughs> That's why I put the fingers up. <laughs> God, I fucked up my fuck up. How did I do this? Exactly. Um, anyway, let's let's start off with the... Uh, I mean, this is like, you know, shooting fish in a barrel, but we're going to start off with talking about Amazon's new Lord of the Rings series. Um, mm. It's something that they announced a while ago, and it was something that had a lot of potential because they weren't going to be following the books. What they were going to be doing was doing a prequel set a thousand years before the books. So before the whole transitionary period that happens in the Lord of the Rings novels where... Before The Hobbit or before... Uh, before the main story well the hobbit was like what 50 or 60 years before the the main three books okay um this was set like a thousand years before that and so right. they're basically going back to the point where the elves were in their heyday and there was all this other stuff going on in middle earth and everything like that mm. and it there was some potential there there was apparently going to be like a you know a young gandalf and like there was going to be all this you know other stuff sexy gandalf confirmed i i wasn't really paying too much attention to it because again i'm i really like the lord of the rings movies and i only read the books after i had already seen the movies but you know it's it's a fairly seminal fantasy classic so hmm. I, you know, it'd be yeah. cool to see a series the Lord of the Rings has been popping up on my YouTube feed, but honestly, the one video that I actually clicked on wasn't to do with that. It was uh, talking about the 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 friend relationship between Saruman, uh, I can't remember the actor's real name, hmm. and the uh, the director. Yeah, that is actually a really cool story. The guy that played Saruman, like he actually he got his break playing like Dracula early on or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he was in Star Wars as a yeah. main villain, so... Yeah, he was he was apparently pretty good friends with... Um, I think he may... I don't know if he ever actually met Tol Tolkien or if I'm getting them completely in the wrong age. No, 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 that's completely wrong. But he, yeah, he knew either the director or somebody who was working in the Lord of the Rings movies, and so he... That's how he got the role. But the the big controversy now that's coming out of this new Amazon Lord of the Rings series is that they have decided to do what they always... What a lot of... Not always, but a lot of modern TV shows tend to do. And they've decided to completely alter the lore to make it... I don't know, meet modern... Yeah, yeah, modern modern political correct standards. Um, so what, what have they crossed? Because I, I haven't actually heard that much about this. So first happening. of all, 
they have uh, female dwarves who are not only black but also bearded. No, beardless, I should say. Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's the big thing. In the canon, the, the, the dwarves, men and women, all have beards. Yeah. Now that's it's, it's made a point of in the books that they're indistinguishable. Yeah, I'm sure you remember me having a bit of a weird moment about the female dwarf in Terry Pratchett, like, shaving her beard off. Yeah, yeah. I was like, mmm, just a bit, just a bit, mmm. Lose that. <laughs> and the... The, and in terms of like the 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 ethnicity of the person they chose, um, mm-hmm. like the the problem is the original Lord of the Rings books, they were supported. They were basically like a fantasy version of like England. Yeah, and so it it there there were actually areas of the Lord of the Rings world in the continent where there were people who have who were like of different skin tones who were of different ethnicities and i think they missed a huge opportunity here because supposedly the lands to the south which basically never get discussed in any of the actual proper lord of the rings books like they could have actually done like a a story about the interactions of those kingdoms with the rest of the other kingdoms and you know how they interact kind of like make a game of thrones out of lord of the rings well, the, they wouldn't even have to make it a game of... Well, they could have... Yeah, they could have done something like that. Which I think would have been cool, but I'm not dissing that point. Yeah. That actually brings up a good point, because, you know, people always make a big hullabaloo about diversity in, you know, film and stuff these days. And I think Lord of the Ring, Not Lord of the Rings. Game of Thrones did it correctly. They had... They, they realized that in a medieval society, you don't have a huge amount of cross-pollination between massively different ethnic groups and so mm-hmm. what they did was they had like they had kingdoms in different areas they had a, a diverse cast but they had a diverse cast that made sense within the lore and they were like oh these people would have this skin tone because they're from this region and these people would have this because they're from this region and lord yeah. of the rings could have done that because even in the the original canon like down in the the southern southern regions they had people of different ethnicities and they could have shown how those kingdoms interacted with the other ones I don't think I have a massive problem with dwarfs being ethnically diverse so much. The only thing that does slightly bother me is, by nature, dwarves should be spending their lives underground. underground. So they wouldn't really get that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But again, it's a fantasy race. So, sure, why not? I don't care that much about that one, to be honest. The the dwarves, again, why not? I mean, I can see why people... Are, are mad like it's the same reason people got mad when the twilight books came out because there's an established lore for what vampires are like and True. she made them into like you know sparkly x-men although i mean nosferatu and dracula and all that when he when they bit a woman she would be in like ecstasy so i mean sex isn't new to the vampire game it isn't but I, the, the problem people had with the twilight vampires was what they did was like there was an established lore for what vampires were and mm. then the author of those books were like was was just like oh, you know what now they're x-men and they sparkle mm. in the sunlight instead of dying and a lot of people who were horror fans I, I remember i was actually on the opposite side of this when i was in college because somebody was making that exact case that i just made to me and i was like who cares they're not real just do what you want um but yeah as i've as i've gotten older and i've started to 
<laughs> become in, in your ways. No, 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 no. I was going to say become invested in certain fandoms, like for instance, Halo. Hmm. The, there's a new Halo TV series coming out, and it looks awful. Oh. Um, I take it. I back. want to see like a, a Halo series where it follows like an, a, one of the grunts. Just like the daily life of a grunt. I think, I think that'd be hilarious. I think there's, in one of the Halo novels, I think there is a chapter told from the perspective of grunt. I remember reading really? that. Um, really? God, I wish I could remember which one now, though. But <laughs> but that that's kind of my point, is... Yeah. Anyway, that that's not the only thing. They also hmm. uh, changed a few of the elves, as I understand it. I, I know very little about... Elrond's son is no no it's the um the queen elf um they basically no i think maybe i don't know i don't again i don't know the lore nearly enough but as i understand it the other thing people are getting pissed about is the fact that they took her from being kind of this you know uh regal and mystical kind of queen character and just made her default warrior princess number 967 yeah um, which Does is... have the, the old boob armor that, like, directs people's <laughs> blades into their sternum? I don't know. I, from the pictures I've seen, it, it looked like she's actually wearing the, um... You know what the, the, the silver light armor looks like from Skyrim and, and Oblivion? Kind of looks like that, if you can picture it. I think I'm it might actually... just, like, a Cyberman's chest now, <laughs> a little bit. Kind of, actually. That's That's pretty close to what it looks like. Yeah. So, that's something that got people up in arms. I'm not too invested one way or the other. Like, I I yeah. really liked the original Lord of the Rings, the movies. Um, the books were pretty good, although... I think, the, of, of all the movie and TV series franchises out there, I think Lord of the Rings has had an excellent stint. Um, yeah. There aren't many... There's, like, the cartoon series, which was just fucking weird. Um, but then, like, Star Wars has got the Christmas episode thing where it was weird. Um, no, and even in recent history with uh, Lord of the Rings going into the Shadow of Mordor series, the story they made for that was so fucking good that people accepted it. Uh, with K... Uh, Kale... I won't say Kale Thass, but that's definitely not right. Um, the, the person who forged the original rings for Sauron... It's uh, not a badass name. I can't. Remember. I wanted to say Kalthas. We've been playing yeah. too much Hots. So, um, uh, on. one one thing quickly, and I, I just remembered something that I was uh, I was reading earlier in the week, and this is, I think, something that makes me think that this series is probably going to be a disappointment when compared to the original movies. Yeah. That came out. Even if we're not talking about the books, we're just talking about movies to TV show. Hmm. Um, the director, Peter Jackson, the, the guy who directed the original Lord of the Rings movies, he was quoted, you know, when they started making those movies, that they made a pledge at the beginning that, you know, no matter what, they weren't going to let their own, you know, views on anything influence anything, and they were going to do their best to make it true to the original works. Yep. The new director was quoted as saying, um, we liked the original works, but we're going to be doing our best to make it reflect the modern world. Yeah. And I'm like, you're a dumbass. 
that is the opposite of what you should be doing when you make a fantasy series. When you make a fantasy yeah. series, it's supposed to be a fantasy. Well, it no, should. If you want to, sorry, go. No, if you want to make it something that reflects the modern world, you make like a true crime drama or a based on a true story or like something with sci-fi or you don't you don't take a fantasy series that's based on medieval England and try to make it look like the modern day. That's idiotic. Well, not even that. Like, if you're going to do that, do it on an IP that isn't massively popular and famous already for being what it is. True. True. Don't take something that's already very well established. If you want to take Yeah. Yeah. If you you can Like you, there are it's one of those fan bases that are on like the top tier massive scale. <laughs> well, it's been around forever. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised Amazon greenlit this. Greenlit this, considering what Disney went through when they uh, redid Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> just makes me sad thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's what's happening. Again, I don't really have a horse in the race, but. I think that they made a mistake going down this route. And I think it, which is sad because I think... Is it a TV it, series? TV series on Amazon. Okay. So it's, is it free to watch? If you have Prime. Okay, cool. I can watch it. <laughs> yeah. So maybe when it comes out, I'll take a take a look too. You know, watch a couple mm. episodes, see if it's as bad as it seems. Because honestly, mm. if it's just a cosmetic difference, if they're just like, we're going to yeah, make... I can get past that. As long as the yeah. story is good. Exactly. Uh, I'm trying to think. There was, there was a series that I... I watched a while back that I actually ended up liking. I wonder if they'll explain the beard thing because they did at least try and explain it away in Terry Pratchett, and I feel like yeah. that that is a, that is the biggest part of the problem with the dwarves to me <laughs> is the beard uh, thing. Yeah, because it's like a quintessential part of the part dwarves. Of them. I was yeah. you know what the funny thing is I was playing through uh, Thronebreaker, uh, I, so I've I've beaten it before on the PC. It's a it's a Witcher side story game. Right. Uh, Kind of like this strategy card game story based thing. It was it was a little like twenty or thirty bucks when it came out, um, and I beat it on the PC a few years back. And I got urged to replay it. Got it on the Xbox, and there's a part. I'm in the part right now. We're in the dwarven city, and I have to help this dwarf, you know, marry her sweetheart. And you know what? She dwarf. She got a little beard. Only a little one. It's you know it's, it's a very it's a very effeminate beard. How is she expecting to get a man with a little beard like that? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. To be fair, this is not Tolkien's world. A Witcher is this is Polish lore, so maybe their okay. beards were different. I'm just saying we would make fantastic dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so me better thing. than you. You're too tall to be a dwarf. Wow. Sweet. All right. Um, other things. Uh, so, this is more just uh, keeping on the topic of news. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Nudes. Keeping on the topic of nudes. Well, I have a topic for that, too. No, um, keeping on the topic of news, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 got its first really major update in a while. Yeah. Like, the last few big patch updates were just like, it was like, here's a 30 gigabyte patch, and we've fixed a bunch of problems that people were having. Yeah, I played through the game and never really encountered any game-breaking glitches. Um, I, I would run into some things that were a little weird and stuff. It was nowhere near as bad as some people had it. Um, I can hear. I hear now that you can uh, change your nail polish. I don't know if can you. Apparently, 
Of all the things, I'm sure the game is not that optimized yet that they should be int- introducing that. But it yeah. is. Well, it, the last time I played it, it was very, very stable. So I think they've, yeah. they've stabilized the game to this at this point. Now they're working on actually patching in a ton of new content. Mm. Um, so it was a 45 gigabyte patch on the PC because I started downloading it before we did this podcast because I want it. Yeah. Um, but they've added in like a reputation system for mercs. They added in the ability to ignore people who are calling you if you don't want to do their stupid quests. They added mm. the ability to customize your apartment. They added a reason to go back to your apartment, meaning like if you sleep or shower or do things, you'll get bonuses when you go out to do a mission. Um, they added in cosmetic uh modifications so in your condo yeah you you can change the i, I don't know if nail polish is one of them you can change your hair and stuff like that yeah i just checked the um retail price at the moment on mm. like amazon for a ps4 game on cyberpunk and 19 pounds yeah that's surprisingly good if you say it's stable and they're adding more content to it 19 pounds yeah is worth paying they are i i would probably recommend the pc version um mm. i mean the piece the the ps4 i i've played it on the xbox i have the xbox series x and i've played it on the pc and i found both to be very stable i but don't you do have a very powerful pc to be fair i do which is yeah thing to keep in mind but the ps4 one is supposedly pretty good it's getting a major update too so it should be able to support you know 60 fps 2k mm. um it it's looking like they're actually going to keep patching it and keep supporting it, which is what I'm looking for. Oh, also major gameplay updates. They've enhanced the AI significantly, so the AI will react to the way you're doing things. They'll notice if you're um, like flanking them or something like that, and might change the strategy. Uh, NPCs react more naturally to if you're doing things out in public, like if you pull a gun in a crowd, people might actually decide to shoot back at you or they might run away. Drivers might see you have a gun out and try to drive away. There's a lot of AI things that they've... I haven't gone through all of the patch notes. So these are just the highlights that I kind of pulled out. Yeah. Um, I'm I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I kind of want to go back and give it a... I've been having the urge it, to play it again. Is it kind of like Assassin's Creed where they actively dissuade you from shooting civilians? I mean, in the sense, the, the Grand Theft Auto sense, the police will come for you and fucking murk you. Keep yeah, in mind, this but is they'll cyberpunk. they'll also murk you if you shoot one of the civilians that are shooting at you. No. If the civilian shot you first, you're in the, you're in the clear. That's bullshit. <laughs> they only drew a gun on you because you had a gun out in the crowd. Oh, I, I don't know about that. Oh, okay. I, I meant if, if you were getting shot and you defended yourself in the game. Mm. Um, but yeah, so supposedly a lot of AI tweaks... Um, they're also doing a few graphical tweaks so that it runs smoother on older consoles mm. um, and newer ones. Because apparently, I didn't know this. Um, apparently, like they weren't fully utilizing the PS5 and Xbox Series X's hardware. Um, like they were, they basically made it to run on the old consoles, and then the new consoles were kind of running at half steam so now they're going to be fully right. utilizing the new consoles hardware i, I don't know i want to nice. give it a playthrough again i'm looking forward to it i'm i'm hoping oh there's also a bunch of new dlc that they've added free dlc again yeah um i'm glad that they're doing that i honestly i'm looking forward to the first paid dlc 
because if The Witcher 3 is anything to judge by, their paid DLC for The Witcher 3, like they gave a bunch of free stuff on that too, but the paid DLC was mm. like you were getting a whole other game. Like, it was, it was so good. So I'm hyped about that. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. In infamously, you, you played a lot of The Witcher. I could not get on with it. it I'm, I'm currently... I'm currently replaying The Witcher 3. Deep, yeah. And <laughs> before we uh, before we started this, I was telling Blue I've not beat, but 100%ed Cyberpunk twice. Yeah. <laughs> Already. Once when it first came out, and then once um, a few months later after it had been heavily patched. To be fair, though, I kind of see Cyberpunk as being like a... a bit like Deus Ex. And... I know over one summer I did play, completed Deus Ex through to the end about six times. Deus Ex is a lot more linear. Um, Cyberpunk is closer to Grand Theft Auto. Like, okay. a, like a Deus Ex Grand Theft Auto, if that makes sense. A Deus Ex Witcher Grand Theft Auto. I mean, Deus Ex was open world still. To an extent. Yeah. It was, it was open hub worlds. Because, yeah. like, when you went to different areas, you had a new hub to go through and around. Cyberpunk, the whole world is open constantly. Hmm. Um, speaking of The Witcher, hmm. I finished season two. Oh, a nice. Back, and I forgot about it because it wasn't very good. I, o- <laughs> I only watched the first episode and I gave up. Yeah. Do you, are you okay with me spoiling some stuff? Spoil the shit out of it. I, I think I've, I've seen stuff online, so. Not really that <laughs> All you out there listening, you've been warned. Um, oh god, now I need to remember what actually happened. Uh, Supposedly Siri's in it a lot more. So, Yaskier, is that his name? The Bard? Yaskier is what he's called in the original Polish. In the games, he's called Dandelion. Right, they call him Yaskier in the series. In the series, yeah, in the series they call him Yaskier. Uh, he is just a piece of shit that does nothing. Uh, but he's in quite a few of the episodes. That's kind of and... annoying, because he... He actually, even though he was a bit of a layabout and a bit of a womanizer, he actually was a decent character in the books and in the, yeah. the games. I never got along with him. Uh, the, the the lady, what's her name? Yennefer. Uh, Yennefer. She loses her magic, <laughs> is useless for about four episodes, Makes a really dodgy deal to give Siri to a witch. <clears throat> Finally meets up with Geralt. But the whole time Geralt and Siri have been roaming around, a monster will try and kill Siri. Geralt will kill the monster. They do go to the home of the witches. Yeah, Kermorin. A lot of a lot of the this second series is spent in Kermorin. Um where you meet all the other witches, including his mentor. Uh, oh, what's his name? I know his name. Fuck. <laughs> Go on. I'll remember um, it. And then, so Siri wants to be a witcher. Her blood can turn other people into witches. What? Yeah. She's got elder blood, which... Oh, my... They want to replenish the stock of witches. That's not what Elder Blood does. Uh, I mean, apparently Elder Blood can also turn people into elves or something. No. Oh my god, the people who wrote this show are fucking retarded. 
I mean, this could best be me getting things wrong, but I'm pretty certain about the Witcher bit. Um, anyway, so this witch, uh, so um, Yennefer meets Ciri and Geralt at a like Buddhist temple thing. <clears throat> uh, this other person who works for I want to say the Empire, Nilfgaard, yeah, yeah. So stormtroopers walk into the mosque and try and take Ciri. But Yennefer takes Ciri and teepees them to some other place. Uh, Yennefer tries to take Ciri to the witch, but Geralt catches up. Uh, Ciri then goes with Yaskir to Kermorn. Kermorn, yep. There's so many dumb names in this, that's why it's taking me so long. My brain is processing all the it's Polish. All dumb names. It's just, yeah, words that I'm not used to. Um, and then Geralt and Yennefer go to fight the witch, who is, I'm pretty fucking sure, based off of Baba Yaga, because they live in a house that walks around on big leg feet. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, Baba Yaga being a, a folk tale from uh, yeah. medieval Europe. But called, like, the Death Witch or something in this. Uh, some of the monoliths... The, the monolith that Ciri cracked with her voice at the beginning is spewing monsters. Uh, when Ciri's back at Kermorn with the bard, the witch takes over her body, and Ciri then murders several witches in their sleep. Uh, and I wish you could see Kaiser's just viewpoint of this. <laughs> there. He just looks like he's been drinking too much in two months. <laughs> I how do I put this? I'm glad I didn't finish the second series. Yeah. Because I, can I can I go off on a riff on everything they got wrong? Can I quickly finish it cuz it's all like right, the all last right, finish. Finish. So Geralt goes back to Camelon. The witches are all hunting down the witch series and uh the Siri witch Screams, cracks the tree in tr the the tree in two. Which I think it turns out to be one of the obelisks. I can't remember. I'm not entirely sure on that. And monsters start flowing through. She's literally summoning demons. Uh, but then Yennefer comes forward and slits her wrist, uh, as in Yennefer's own wrist, which somehow draws the witch out of Ciri. But first, somehow, witch teleports Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri to another dimension where the Wild Hunt is coming to pick up Ciri because they want to do their Wild Hunt things. Um, and the witch flies off to the Wild Hunt and then they'll just go back to Kaemon. Okay. Uh, I think that's the end of the series. So, few things. One, the Elder Blood thing. Yeah, it sounds like they they basically read the spark notes of one of the books and then got confused and just made up their own shit, because the whole idea of the elder blood is that somewhere back in Ciri's ancestry there was this elf that was a very powerful person. Mm. The, these you know the elves are often referred to as the elder race in the books, um, and she inherited from this extremely powerful line of elven like 
royalty, essentially, who have the power to manipulate space and time. Um, which is why Siri can teleport and do other random crap like she did at the end of this, it sounds like. Um, yeah. And it's also the reason the Wild Hunt want her. They want her because she has the Elder Blood. Mm. The Witchers have nothing to fucking do with that. Like, the, like the, the whole way that the Witchers were created was basically a human, not an elf, a random human, realized there's all these monsters running around in the world. Normal humans don't have a chance. And th so through a combination of magic and alchemy and chemistry, they created these genetically, chemically augmented super humans, the Witchers, who are designed basically to have the speed and reflexes and endurance to actually take on monsters. Series Blood ain't got jack shit to do with that. Hmm. They did train us, but they did train Siri at Kermorn, but the reason they trained Siri at Kermorn is basically the witchers were like, well, we have this little girl. We have no idea how to raise a little girl. Well, let's train her to be yeah. a witcher. That, that's basically that's, all we know how to do. That's sort of how it went, but when it actually came to, because Siri wants to be a witch herself, mm -hmm. so she was going to take this little potion made out of her own blood, and then Garrett was like, no, fuck you. Fuck the leader who wants this to happen. That's not happening because you could die and yeah. you'll let child. So something also, similar happens to that in the books where I think Siri wants to go through the process and they, they don't want her to. And yeah. Go on. Uh, I, I completely forgot there's an entire... It spans most of the series. An entire part where the army of elves um, are a thing. But they kind of that so they they their queen wants a child because I guess that you can't have any more elves at the moment for whatever reason. Uh, so they explain in the books that elves live for an incredibly long period of time, but they're only fertile for a very short period of time, and so basically because their civilization is dying out, like none of the youth want to have kids anymore, and so by the time they realize, oh shit, this was a mistake, they're infertile. Mm. Um, and so the, the elves are basically, you know, just dying out. Their civilization is, is very close to being non-existent. And most of the elves that actually realize that's a problem are too old to have kids. But yeah, so they go along with Nilfgaard for a long while, but, and then they manage to have a baby and then the baby dies like a week after it's born mm. and then they get angry and leave. And it's just... The... <laughs> It takes there, up a lot of screen time and nothing really happens. There, there's some elements to that in the, the main stories, too. Like, the elves do fight to have their own uh, kingdom. I think it's called, like, Don Blethia or something like that in the um, in the books. I may be mm. butchering that name. Doesn't matter. The other thing that pissed me off in that description, Yennefer is basically... In the books, like, because Yen can't have kids... Like, her and Geralt basically become Ciri's surrogate mother and father. And so yeah. the idea that Yennefer would give her up for any reason at all, and that's, that's fucking asinine. Um, well, she, she does feel bad about it after she's been caught by Geralt. Yeah, but that's, that, again, <laughs> that, that, that's bullshit. Like, it's like, oh yeah, I feel bad about selling my kid into slavery just because dad caught me. Like, what? That's fucking stupid. <laughs> anyway, I mean, they, they, I've already said a million times, they fucked Yennefer's character 
from here until Sunday. It, like, they just, they have completely screwed her up. She was an amazing character in the books, and they have fucking trashed her in this series. So I'm not surprised they continued that trend in season two. All right. That being said, I the whole thing with Siri getting possessed and killing witchers, that, that's, that's entirely a fabrication of the series. And it's oh, yeah, like six witches die. It's weird because there's only like five witchers in existence in the books. And yeah, they're like they're the old yeah, they're like the only ones left. And yeah. so they just made up more witches for her to kill. Well, every time I think every time I saw a witcher that didn't have more than a minute of screen time, I was like, he going to die on the series hit list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, two of them literally had their throats cut while they were sleeping. The boss almost did, and then Geralt walked in. And I do, I actually do believe that there is a point where Ciri's powers are being manipulated by a third party, but it's it's elves doing it. And I think it might actually be elves affiliated with the Wild Hunt and not um, not some kind of a witch or something like right. that. Dark um, Elder. <laughs> yeah, the Dark Elder. Now, I just, I'm glad I didn't watch the series um, yeah. now, which is sad because they, I think... A couple things like really made me hopeful for that series. Hmm. Uh, one was the fact that they like not their their choice in casting, but Henry Cavill. Like he he actually was like a huge nerd who played the Witcher games, read the books. Like he was really into the lore. Like he was a fan of the Witcher series. And I'm like, and they got him to play Geralt, and I'm like, that's a good sign. You got somebody who's actually passionate about the source material to play the main character. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, and to be fair, the depictions of Geralt are spot on in the series. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, I have no complaints about that. I did. I was watching a blooper reel video the other day. Mm -hmm. And there was one scene where Geralt was like knelt down by a river looking at a plant in his hands. And in the background... His horse is taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't know, he doesn't realize it. I was like, no, cut, cut. He's like, oh, what's wrong with that? Horse is taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, yeah there, there's, there's a lot of good, especially in the first season. And I imagine if I watched the second season, there'd be some good to it, too. Because hmm. Siri and Geralt are two things in the first series, at least. I thought they got really, really right. Also, Queen Kalenthi, um, Siri's grandmother. They got her yeah. spot on as well. In the first series, Yaskier was pretty close to accurate. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, I, it, I, he's, the, the old characters feel very different in the second series. Just like in the, the first series, Yennefer spent the whole time saying she wanted a child. And series two, she's literally giving up a child's life so she can get her magic back. And it's yeah. like... And... That's something I, I get. They have to do it differently for TV, but in the in the books, oh, excuse me, in the books, that's something that Yennefer keeps very, very close to herself. Because all all witches and sorcerers, like chances are, the process they have to go to to become magic users, most of them become infertile, or if not most, a significant percentage do. In, in this, I've complained about this before, but in the series, they make it sound like Yennefer's unique that she went through this. It's like, no, most of them go through that process. And so it was something that she kept as like a closely guarded thing to herself is that she secretly was like, oh, I wish 
that I, I you know, was able to, to have a kid. Um, which is why it's so, like, she's so passionately protective of Siri along with Geralt. It's because neither of them, both of them are infertile. And this is their is surrogate. infertile? Yeah, witchers. As a part of their modification process, they... Oh, you know, yeah, of course they are. They're, yeah, they're sterilized by all the chemical stuff that they have to do. Yeah. Um, and so, what, which is one of the reasons they're so protective of their surrogate daughter, Siri. I don't know. Okay, well, thank you for that. Nice. Um, Saved you hours of your life. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 exactly. I got a lot of else. <laughs> it's, it's hours I don't have to spend watching that shit. Hmm. Um, what do you think? I got I got another topic that we can kind of wrap up on here. Yeah, uh, I'm good to go. And then uh, then we'll move on to segment three. Um, okay, so I will preface this right now that this is a topic that <laughs> that not everyone is going to like. Um, so if I start talking, you're like, oh, this is silly. Skip ahead to segment three, because then we're going to be talking about War of the Worlds, and that will be something worth listening to. Mm. I am a fan of visual novels, and I'm a fan of trashy content. This sounds like a coming out speech. <laughs> no, when I say trashy content, I mean like... I like, I, I like cheesy romances, right? I like, yeah. you know shitty tv every now not every not always but every now and again i will get some entertainment out of watching it yes a guilty pleasure <laughs> exactly there's a visual novel that i played recently and they tend to have even the trashy ones tend to have some semblance of interesting story because there has to be some good writing in there to keep somebody occupied for the amount of time it would take to actually play through one of them um there's also yeah boobies yeah blues making to keep most people's uh, attentions fairly wrapped on visual novels most that, of the time and this is why i wanted to bring it up because okay. i'm and maybe i'm just getting old but i'm playing through it and honestly i was just like i was actually getting really into the story and it, i would get annoyed whenever the boobies came up because I'm just like, whatever. Oh uh, no, I I'm totally the same. There have been a lot of games recently where it's been completely unnecessary for there to be like anything lewd happening at a time, and it just pulls you right out of the story. Wait, that's the thing. I'm like, I'm just, I can't hmm. tell if I'm getting old or if I'm just getting jaded to like sexual content in games, <laughs> like because it. It, the story actually was pretty good. It was a, it was set in this sort of um, kind of authoritarian communist state, and your grandfather is the head of he's he's a war hero, mm. and um, when he dies, he leaves you his estate, not not to own. He leaves you his Yu-Gi-Oh cards. <laughs> he leaves you his estate to manage. Right. And, you know, of course, half the staff is, be maids. is beautiful yeah. women and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, Pervy old grandpa. But what I what I found interesting was like there was actually a decent plot behind the fact you have to deal with the secret police. There's government agents. There's, uh, you know, there's a, a rebel organization that has your grandfather was secretly supporting and all this stuff. Like there's right. there's actually it's not a very complex story, but it was interesting enough <laughs> that I 
<laughs> found myself it's like oh hey it's a it's you know it's a it's it's a boob scene skip i want to i want to hear mm. more about the story um i don't know i just i wanted to i wanted to get your thoughts on that i'm glad that well you already you already answered my question is that you were also getting kind of yeah i think when i was a young impressionable teenager uh who obviously didn't get enough <coughs> the um those kind of things, yeah, they they were they were fun in a game to break up the just constant fighting or something. But mm. it's such unless you do it really well, like a proper romance novel, I guess, yeah. is is laid out where you actually really give a shit about the person. And so even the slightest thing, whether it's just holding hands, means it's... so much. But. A lot of games these days just serve this shit up to you, like it's you know going going off. Yeah, and this is something I'll I'll point out, and I I will still call this one of the best visual novels of all time, Clanad. And this this is a hundred percent PG. There's not even okay. there's zero nudity. There's not even any implied sex. Mm. It's it's a very because of the way because of how well it's written and because of how interesting some of the characters are there's some like comedy bits some slice of life stuff in there but a few of the characters that you go down like when you actually you know follow some of the storylines you end up caring about the characters enough that the emotional payoff for seeing the ending to those stories is way way more valuable than you know just like hey two clicks and some boobs yeah and with each game of that kind of nature that goes out there on Steam, another group of people have the bright idea that this is what people want, and so more games like that are made, and with less restrictions, there yeah. are some weird fucking Steam games out there. I don't even, I don't think I've got a single visual novel or anything like that on my account, but it still suggests these kind of games and it's like I, I don't play these kind of games yeah. but you're still selling them to me because I guess people are enjoying playing them yeah I don't know I've it, like yeah, well I mean obviously I'm talking about it so I've played a few of them mm. and what I've found is they're variable in quality mm. this one I found the writing was actually decent um, even though it was very blatantly they were trying to get you in there for the boobies yeah um, but yeah, whatever. It just kind of feels like a checklist thing, right? So like, it it it's as necessary for for the what's the word the genre of games, visual novel, visual novel genre as like you know a keep is to a castle these days. Every Okay, with the exception to the one that you just mentioned, every visual novel has some level of blushing princess. Yeah, not but the, that's the thing. Not all of them. There, there's a there's a ton of them out there that are really good that don't. Yeah. Um, you just don't hear about them, I don't think. Yeah, we I I played a lot of them. Like Juan and I went through quite a bit of them in college, and a good chunk of them weren't pornographic. Um, or even not even pornographic. They just didn't didn't even have any sort of sexual content whatsoever. And they were mm. good. They were actually really well written. And like I said, the emotional payoff to getting to the end of the story was actually 
really worth it. Um, that being said, there were also some that had some limited sexual content, basically what you'd see in like an R-rated movie. Yeah. Um, but they were, and they were still good. And those are the ones that you see like rated as being like, you know, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 masterpiece kind of quality. Yeah. Um, Anyway. So, if you want to see some of that, go and watch Max Gentleman's Sexy Business on the YouTube channel. <laughs> I forgot we played that game. I hear there's some great photos of Santa on there. Um, oh, God, that was Heavily such a... blurred for your convenience. That was such a mistake. To... <laughs> that was such a mistake to play that game. That was such a weird idea I had. I was like, you know what? Let's just see something totally out of left field. Uh, we we couldn't play it very long. <laughs> no, I mean I think Santa Santa Claus was probably the end of that. Santa Claus, we we peaked. God, all right. You know what? Let's let's end it. Let's end it there because I do not want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> Santa Claus peaking. God, yes. all right. <clears throat> this is going to be the end of uh, segment one of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you will hear us again momentarily for segment three. Welcome back to the TMCJ Podcast. We are on segment three, our wild card segment. And this week, the wild card is a book. That is. A book that, Blue, when Blue found out that I hadn't read it or heard the audio play version of it, uh, War of the Worlds, uh, a classic which is a lot shorter than I realized a it was. A British classic. Um, yeah. And one that also came out a lot earlier than I thought yeah, it did. Yeah, same, actually. I didn't realize it. Yeah, I didn't realize it was published in, like, it was just on the turn of the century. So it was like 1890 yeah, something. Yeah, it was. So, and that kind of became a little bit more obvious reading through it um, in just the attitudes of the protagonists and the people around them and sort of the way it the way it was written, uh, I found. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This this was your, uh, your choice for a book, so I don't know if you want to start off giving... It was. I don't well, know, just some background. Country or... life in England hasn't changed much since then. Um, <laughs> uh, so, World of the Worlds, yeah. So, one of the original kind of sci-fi um, stories. And a lot of the places are real places in England. Um, hmm. Which is just really cool when, when people use real, real world locations. Um, <clears throat> in fact, I was talking to someone literally earlier today about the Terry Pratchett series and the main city in that is actually uh, twinned with a, a real world city and they have a gathering there each year celebrating the series uh, yeah which although to be fair you say you know it's always cool when they use real world places for stories and stuff like hmm. that um, but on the other side of things, there was that trope that kind of got started with movies, and I don't know when this started, but it's kind of gone on forever, that the city that is, like, the most destroyed in all movies is New York. Oh, yeah, but that's, like, like that's when people are trying to cram in monuments, generally it is, like the Statue of Liberty or yeah. the Eiffel Tower or something. It's it's more like a, a name drop than a good reason to be there. Yeah, than These are, like, very yeah, out of their little villages yeah whereas this book it starts in uh woking which i'm assuming is a small yeah. town in england that's not far from yeah. where i am um okay well yeah the um 
Southwest. But yeah, so uh, for those that don't know, I mean, do you want me to go through plot synopsis? Please do. Do you want to go through it? All right. So I, I just finished this book literally today. Um, I'd been, I got it on audiobook and I liked it. I was liking it so much I actually bought the physical copy as well. Mm. So I could, I could read through it. And I, I did one of those things where I was listening to it and then I'd switch to reading for a little bit, just depending on what I was doing and, you know, what my hands were free. But um, the plot synopsis, the main character whose name escapes George. me, um, George, he, uh, he's uh, a writer, a, philo- a philosophy writer. And uh, he lives in Woking, yeah, with his wife in the countryside. And uh, a friend of his, an astronomer friend, is like looking up and they're observing Mars, and they see these these flashes coming from the planet. And his friend is speculating about like, oh, could there be life there? Because keep in mind, when this was written, people had no idea what the atmospheres or anything like was like on these other planets. They could see them, but in very low resolution. Yep. So for all they knew, <clears throat> Mars was teeming with life. It was just red. Mm. And same thing with Venus. They didn't know it was like a pressure cooker or things like that. So that, to me, was I, I, I found that very fascinating, like seeing what people in the late 1800s thought could be going on on these other worlds. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one thing that they, they did they, note was that it was going, the flashes were happening on a, like a regular schedule. Hmm. Um, so it didn't seem like a volcanic eruption, which some people did suggest it might have been. Um, yeah. yeah, it was do- it was done in such a measured way that they were precluding that it had to be some some art something artificial. It had to be like either another being doing it or something mechanical or or so on and so on. And as it turns out, uh, I think it was like a, a day or so later or something like that. Um, an impact happens near where he lives, well, just because it's a particularly significant line, which is kind mm. of almost what the book is is that people think of is that when they're talking in the um the lab about the the lights he's like the main character george says the chances of anything coming from mars are a million to one and that's mm-hmm. what like all the, the the eve of war the song is is that particular line it's very important <laughs> Yeah. So the other thing is, I understand from what you've told me that there are, you know, there's obviously a musical version of this with songs and things like that. I have not heard them. I I, that is something that I meant to do before we recorded this, but have not had the chance to Mm. yet. Um, Anyway, so one of these, uh, it turns out they are objects. Essentially, the Martians are firing these cylindrical like pods from mars to earth and it's essentially their their way of so this again this is this is the 1800s mindset imagining what an interstellar landing craft would be like like literally a cannon firing them from one planet to if another. anyone's aware of warhammer 40k it is almost exactly like a drop pod yeah they were lucky the astartes didn't <laughs> <I> couldn't imagine <laughs> would have been a lot uh yeah but anyway so thing lands and it becomes like this this like uh scene of just like everyone is like curious as to what this is they go down there and they see these big hot cylindrical like metallic capsules Mm. and they describe the martians coming out of them they're kind of like tentacly and yeah so this um, is something that um as you know i've i've read the necronomicon as well and i was like yeah this he must have got this from you know hp lovecraft's stories no 
If anything, it's the other way around, because it was a long time before H.P. Lovecraft wrote his stories. But yes, yeah, so yeah. they're described as about the size of a bear. Um, mm. Very, like, robbery-looking grey, with lipless mouths. I think at one point they say they have almost, like, beaks, almost. Yeah, that I don't know kind of... They're, they're some flappy, kind of a... I thought they were, I thought. Flaps. Yeah, I don't... He describes some part of them as chitinous, and I couldn't remember mm. if it was the mouth or something else. But but go on. Um, but yeah, so so bigger than humans, but not like, not wildly so. Hmm. So that happens for a while, and they, it, it's kind of like just this this curiosity. Like everyone's around there observing, like people from the local townships, and they're like, "Oh, the men from Mars are here," and they're they're all looking down and. I think at one point, uh, so he he runs off to to like people people are like curious about it for a while. They look at it for a bit and then they kind of run off and go to do you know you know get lunch or yeah. something like that. Very British um, afternoon tea. What what? Exactly. <laughs> oh, we'll come back and see the aliens mm. later. It's time for tea. Uh, so they go off and do that, and I think they they come back at some point because there's some and and they see that more like a, some stuff has changed in the pit like they've constructed something out of that capsule that they had or something like that um because okay so um the f when the am, am i skipping a when step? the lid initially opens the astronomers mm. are approaching so so the, the a party is elected to approach the cylinder with an offering of peace so it's a bunch of um like astronomers specifically ones that don't have wives because they mm. they said uh, George is like oh but aren't you worried that you're going to look hostile going up as a group and the astronomers ones with don't worry no one has ever been afraid of a group of astronomers <laughs> 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 uh, yeah so all wifeless men approach them with like beads and a white flag and that kind of stuff um, mm. yeah go on. And I'm trying to remember because the, some something happens and they do end up turning hostile. They're literally just approaching them across um, the common, and then the aliens stick a laser out the side of the ship, and that's what it was. Yeah, they them. they they described it as like a a heat ray a or heat something ray, yeah. like that, some kind of a, a like a mirrored. And I loved it, like the the what is it the um that kind of mentality of trying to explain it scientifically. Mm. Because this this point in time, this was like right as I, I I I do. There's something I want to talk about really bad, but I think it's best talked about after we've gone through the whole okay. plot, um, because it's something for historical context, specifically historical context in Europe, and I feel like it feeds a lot into the way this book was written and the attitudes of a lot of the characters. Okay. Um, but I like this character he's trying to describe it scientifically like he's speculating that it might be a series of mirrors or something like that and it focuses the heat and anyway it completely vaporizes the people who are coming up to to greet the mm. pod um and that causes a bit of like you know a row where people are like trying to get away and then they realize that they start speculating oh but you know it's it's kind of safe because the martians can't get out of their pit because of the difference in gravity between mars and earth and they can't move that well yeah um and uh so they he goes back home to like tell his wife about it no or something one in like town that believes him 
yeah no one in the town but he keeps people just think he's crazy yeah. and one guy tries to like lock him away till like, that he can get like a an insane asylum person to come by and, and grab him or something yeah. like that um and he he eventually goes home and he he tells his wife and at that point he's calmed down Carrie. and his wife believes him and his wife actually gets a little like um a little frantic about this whole thing about people have been killed like oh god and he has to calm her down and i think one of the, the lines is ex uh, specifically was something like eventually i convinced her to take some wine and calm down <laughs> and it was just, I, lo I loved the dip that's again the difference in mindset from that like uh, more than a hundred years makes um well, but a bit of anyway, wine could so calm that, me that down. happened <laughs> I, I, it, wine does calm a lot of people down uh, chills people yeah. uh anyway so that happens and i think they go to bed they go to bed and it's it's not till the next day that things start getting like really oh yeah they have a nice dinner and he comments during the dinner because this is all written as if it was him putting together mm. his uh memoirs about what happened to him during that time um and so he's like this was the last you know quality meal that i would have for quite some yep. time and um it's the next day when he wakes up and he's eager to know what happened so he runs out and he gets a paper yeah. and the army um, started you know, he's arriving. reading about yeah the army started arriving and they just the way they describe it because they, they described artillery and when i started reading this i didn't know what era it was yeah. so they were describing artillery and i was thinking like world war one or world war two era mm. artillery but no this is pre-1900s artillery so this is like two wheels and a cannon pulled by a yep. horse um so i like i because i think i didn't realize it until they talked about how the artillery was thrown off by the horse getting killed at one yeah. point um spoiler alert uh, but yeah they, and um so the artillery starts getting there the the army any the uh i think it's some sappers uh some army sappers who come over and talk to him and they're they're trying to get all the information he knows mm, about it and he's describing what he saw yeah uh sappers were what they basically an army engineer uh, well a sapper is what we would call an army engineer today mm. um I, if i remember right sappers were like th that term dates back to like medieval times when we they were the people who would find ways to um dig under enemy castle walls and cause them to collapse and cause breaches. Yeah. They were essentially army engineers from medieval times, and they were still using that term in the 1800s. Um, but yeah, there was like three of them, and, and they it, were joking around about how they were going to destroy the aliens. Uh, and one of them asks, he says, oh, so they don't have necks. Are we fighting octopus? Mm -hmm. And I was like, this feels very Lovecraftian. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think one of the one of the guys is like, you know, he's like, oh, I say we just, you know, put up a shield and charge them, and the other guy's like, oh, you always say we should. Do yeah, that. he's he's... he wants to build trenches. Yeah, he's like, oh, you always want to build you trenches. You must have been born a rabbit or something. Yeah. And the funny that is particularly ironic, considering World War Two was like, you know, fifteen years away at this yep. point, or World War One was fifteen years away at this point, and that was all about trenches. Mm. That guy clearly got his way. <laughs> <laughs> just a few decades later yeah. um yeah and so he i think at that point he goes off and um what does he do after that he he goes off and he does something in the town or goes back to the so pit. 
he, I think he's, I want to say he stays in the house, and, but in the evening, there's the sounds of battle. Yeah, and then he wants to go back there for he, some he reason. Goes to the, he, he tells his wife, look, we need to get out of here now. I'm going to go and commandeer yeah. a, uh, a, a horse-drawn cart so we can start moving our stuff out of this village. Which is why mm. he then ends up going to the bar. I'm. I actually. So, what what you can't see that blue can is I just I have the book in front of me and I just opened up to the. Uh, it's the fourth chapter. The cylinder opens and that's when they start to. I think when that 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 all starts to happen. Um. But yeah, so basically he. He's going around and he hears the sound of battle, the sound of artillery being fired and all that stuff. And that's when he like decides, yeah, they have to leave. And so he yeah, he goes to the bar, the, the local tavern, just, and asks that guy to borrow his horse just, cart. Just before that he actually gets in there, the actual the heat ray hits the top of the church and the top of the mosque. Hmm. And he realizes that hmm. his home is within the range of the alien's heat ray. Yeah, yeah. Because they've they've now done something. I believe he actually sees them erect like this essentially giant tripod thing. Like they they were they were thinking they were all safe because they would never get out of the pit. But then this thing gets larger and they build this construct that's then able to slice things away. And I think at one point I loved the way that they were speculating as to the science of why this was happening. Mm. And it really does show like the kind of the the infancy of science at, at where it was at that point. Because they're speculating that maybe, you know, though the gravity was weaker on Mars, on Earth, the preponderance of oxygen has made their muscles stronger, and so they can, you know, they can move around with more vigor than they would on yeah. Mars. Yeah, and the consensus was that the Martians were coming here because they were basically had dried up their own planet, even though there's no evidence yeah. whatsoever for that being the case. Hmm. It's specula. It is, yeah. It's, it's all speculation, but it's it's an interesting. It's interesting hearing the sort of speculations someone would have about what's going on out there in the universe, mm. from that eighteen hundreds perspective versus what somebody would imagine, say, like writing sci-fi in the seventies or in the. I just realized that I have my window open, and I guarantee you, people can hear those ducks on the recording. <laughs> There's I can a duck hear, right I'm so, <laughs> I'm so sorry for people listening to this third, but it's a nice day out. I'm leaving the window They're open Martian to deal with the ducks. ducks. <laughs> They're Martian ducks. They got a heat ray. They're, they're forcing me to keep the window open. Anyway, yeah. so um Yeah, so he, he gets the the horse cart from the guy at the local mm. tavern. And pays a lot uh, of money for it. Like two pounds. Yeah. Which is a yeah. lot. Which at the time was a load of money, yeah. yeah. Two pounds used to be worth a lot. Um, I think they were they were saying like you know a a new like buying a newspaper was like threepence. a pence and that a threepence, and they were saying that that was them gouging them for mm. it because everyone wanted to hear the news. Um, anyway, so he gets he gets the cart, uh, brings it back, grabs his wife and servant, um, like the housemaid or whatever, and they they all get in the cart and they ride off to somewhere nearby called Leatherhead, yeah. I believe. Um, uh, George's two cousins were. Yeah, and so he drops his wife and and the servant off there, and he's like, "I need to go back," and so he charges back. And there's there's a in his internal monologue, there's a little bit of the reason he wants to go back is for the excitement. Mm. He doesn't want to miss out on this. He wants to. 
he he at one point um says something along the lines of you know, I felt once again like the 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 same boyish urge to see cannon and gunshot and battle, yeah. and uh, he doesn't say it exactly, like that, but that's essentially yeah. the he, he remembers feeling this kind of thing in his youth, and yeah, yeah. invigorates him to go back. So all along the the way, uh, something happens, and the cart gets like tipped over or destroyed or something like uh, that. The tripods start walking towards him. And the mm. horse, I think, bucks and breaks its neck or something. Yeah, and he goes off. The, yeah, they they go off the road, and the horse breaks its neck, and he ends up sliding down the hill and like ditch, you know yeah. bruising his his leg or something. And he has to make his very muddy and wet way back to his home, uh, where I think he does manage to get back inside his house. And on his way there, he sees that the tavern guy is already he does, dead. Yeah. Uh, so he gets um, into his house. Uh, mm. and goes up to his study and that's when probably my favourite character appears the artilleryman yep yeah so uh, yeah he gets up to his study and I think they do cut back and forth at this point a little bit this might be the first time they cut away he also has some perspective of what his brother is going through his brother is not in mm. the um the radio version, as I call it, of the story. Because um, mm. I think his brother stays with his wife, doesn't he? No, that's his cousin. Uh, so his brother is the one who's in London. Right, yeah. So his 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 brother is, is some involved in some profession. I think he might be a doctor of some variety or something like mm. that. And he lives in London. And so I think in the book they cut to his perspective a few times to give context to what it's like, you know, miles away now in the big city, like, people are starting to hear about it, they're excited, there are people coming in on trains, and his brother's, like, every chance he gets, he's buying the morning paper, the evening mm. paper, they, they're talking about people, like, he's getting a paper where the ink is still wet, because people are so eager to hear the news, and the newspapers are eager to I print I remember it. reading about it in the, in the original, and then when I got to the radio version, I was like, are we not missing a character? And I think what they did was they a lot of the scenarios that he was in, they put Carrie in instead. Um, uh, so we shall see okay. as we go. Because I've forgotten. So, but that's really the summary of what the brother goes through. There's this uh, fun little scenario where the brother uh, ends up on the road, going away from London, trying to get out to the country to see what's going mm. on. And he comes across like this: uh, these two women being accosted on the road. Um, yeah. And he like he goes to beat the shit out of one of the guys who's doing it, and the guy whacks him in the head with a stick. And it turns out one of the women she had a pistol under her like her carriage seat and takes it out and you know takes a shot at one of the guys. Um, and between the three of them, they manage to chase off the guys. And uh, he so he pairs up with them for a bit to kind of travel up mm. and because uh, already like I think again the reason they cut to the brother is to show how even miles away from where this is happening things are starting to break down a little bit well something um, they make quite apparent though is that London is so used to hearing shocking awful news that a lot of the people inside of London don't give a hoot and yeah. also the papers for the longest time don't hear any actual truths from the military uh, that's true yeah they, um, they're all 
like they do make a point that a lot of the information they're, they're like the papers were printing x y and z and this and that and then the narrator the person who's writing this from a future perspective mm. is like of course we now know that all of this information was false and um i thought that i did like that that little element of it yeah that they they kind of the, the author put the thought into going like um well just that, that there would be this breakdown information mm. that even separated by a few dozen miles at that point in time you would still have that breakdown of information the trains going down people trying to go here and there people coming it's hard back not trying to get trained these days let alone back in <laughs> when the fucking alien invasion happened uh, but yeah so uh, George meets the artilleryman claw- crawling through his back garden mm. yeah do you want to talk about this guy since he is I do your, uh, your boy? Uh, he so the artilleryman he was on the way to the front line to uh he he was a driver so he and then his uh horse and car i can't remember how they got toppled i think that might have just the horse might have spooked or something it went over there was uh no there was something ignited the ammunition uh if i remember correctly like i can't remember if it was the aliens or if they hit a bump or something fell Mm. and the ammunition ignited it blew up and that spooked the horse and tipped the cart over again i don't know how um I can't remember the differences between the radio and the original book, even though I've read them both. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, this is that bit is fre- like the book at least is fresh in my mind because I've, I've only I've read the entire thing in the last week mm. or so. So, um, but yeah, but, so he he suddenly he he's made aware of the fact that the alien war machine that rose from the pit just decimated the troops. There was no fucking chance in hell they were going to defeat this thing. And so he's crawling through the back garden of George's house, and George invites him in. Um, they eat, and they make plans for where they're going to head next. No, and not only that, I just, again, I love the... Um, so first of all, like, this is my thinking, like, in modern-day mm-hmm. tropes. When he first, like... So the guy's crawling through his yard, and, you know, the man, like, whispers out the window. My first thought was, the artillery man's gonna shoot him. Why the artillery Like, he's gonna get spooked. Well, just because maybe he gets spooked and uh, comes around with a yeah. rifle. and um, just I'm thinking nerves or something mm. like that. But that didn't happen. Um, so he comes in, and the man's like, alright, alright, come in here, you know, calm down, calm down, have a glass of whiskey, here, have some food, and... And they, they just basically sit through the night and talking. And he talks about how the guy is just like kind of apoplectic with just rambling. And the way they wrote it in the story was, uh, I it's like, and this these were the, the details that I could piece together from the, the ramblings of the artillery. Mm. Um, but yeah, so uh, he makes a special point that they stock up on food and they eat properly before they head out. They make the plan that... They will head back to Leatherhead so George can regroup up with Carrie, his wife. And the infantryman mm-hmm. needs to get back to a military position so he's not counted as a deserter. Yeah. Um, and so they set out in the morning, I believe. They do. They, they wait until... I think they, they say that they, they talk or do something... Um, they're, they're like sharing a bottle of wine and some food like before they're heading out 
and uh, the the imagery in this is very well done. He because the the way he describes dawn coming about is and and slowly I was once again able to see the features of the artilleryman or something like that because implying that the light is slowly coming back in the windows. Um, yeah, so. Uh, they head out, and I think they, like, he wants to head straight to Leatherhead, yeah. the main guy, George. And the artilleryman convinces him that that would be suicide. Yeah. And yeah, so it's best to go all the way around, um, you know, head north. And they, or, Which, I can't remember if they head north. They, they, I think at one point they, they talk about the speed that the tripods move at, and I think it was something around 70 miles per hour, which for that time... <laughs> yeah, for that time, it's Woo! really fast. Although they... They do talk about how, um, how, like, they, the tripods were starting to, like, shore up their position. Like, they, there were, at this point, I think there were, like, three mm. of them. And they were burning down some forests and then sort of just, like, basically creating a, a foothold, essentially. Yes. Uh, I believe on the journey to Leatherhead was when the second capsule fell. I think it was yeah. once and per they, day, um, right? Yeah, it was something mm. like that. I think the, the logic behind that, I'm assuming, was that the author was like, oh, as the planet rotates, like, so that it would be aligned once per day. Although, knowing what we know about physics now, that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, I like, I, I'm just assuming that's what he was thinking. Uh, they, they all, the other thing I like is, I think on their, their journey, they run into, they get to a town where... You basically have two varieties of people. You know, you have like the you know, military people standing at like parade rest. You know, they've got their their guns all laid out and everything like that. And you've got the locals who are being evacuated, and they're they're basically looking like they're going on a holiday. They're taking some of their more valuable things from their house. And uh, I think the the narrator is George is speculating on like. Um, it was all about that one guy. Uh, which one? The one guy, guy with the prize petunias. <laughs> Yes, that guy. Yeah, just just like as if you know that they're just going out for a holiday, or there mm. there might be you know it, the town will just be occupied for a little bit, and then they can come back later or something like that. Um, George is not happy again. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think it, it, they go up and they they talk to the soldiers and they they try to tell them exactly what they're going to be facing. Mm. Well, um, the soldiers, and soldiers they just don't, don't want to hear it because it's all about the Great British Empire stiff upper lip. Yeah, and um, so George is telling the civilian with this bowl of prized petunias that death is coming, and the soldier's like, "You shut up, go away, <laughs> <laughs> shut up." <laughs> Trying to keep a positive exactly. attitude yeah. here. Um, suffice to say, the petunias uh, get left. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I think that this all starts to get attacked at some point. Like as they're leaving this area, they, like they they do get attacked. And I think, what is it? They dive into the water, mm. or George dives into the water, because he, he knows it's like a heat ray, and he's assuming the water will Which I thought him. is the dumbest thing you could do, <laughs> personally. Um, I mean, it's better than if, if it hits him dead on, well, dead yeah, anyway. it's going to event. Exactly. So the water, at least, maybe he gets singed and scorched, maybe a little boiled, but he doesn't get disintegrated. Uh, I mean, it was, t it was turning the water to steam on impact. Yeah, that's... Again, it, uh, mm. uh, I think they do make a point of how, like, at the end of this, like, pretty much everyone is, like, burnt 
and mm. blackened and dehydrated and like emaciated. So they uh, several of the people jump into the river. Uh, the artilleryman splits yeah. in a different direction. Uh, mm. When George is in the water, the tripods are like standing over them, picking some of them out of the water. I think. Um, yeah. And then an artillery shell rots from a local hill and hits one of the tripod dead on. Yeah. It hits it dead on, and it, it's implied that it, it kills whatever was, was driving the thing, and it starts to gyrate madly before it just collapses and falls mm. over. Um, and that was the point. Like, everyone around is cheering, and there's this moment No, there's no cheering. No, like, oh. I don't think anyone's cheering. I could be wrong. Oh, there, there's, I think, when it hits, I think the people around him give it a okay. cheer. I'm thinking of the other water-based thing, which you know about. No, no, that's yeah, yeah that's that's which that's is later. Amazing, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So George just barely scrambles out of the water, like which is basic. It's almost boiling. They describe it as um, yeah. And so he's incredibly burnt, and he looks up, and there are t the other two tripod are standing over him, and he's like, hmm. "I'm fucked. This is it." Um. <laughs> And then what he perceives as a miracle, but in the brains of the aliens, it's a tactical move. They don't fire at him. They just scoop up the remains of their fallen tripod and they retreat back across the countryside, never knowing, that, yeah. never thinking that these ants had anything that could even touch them. Yeah. Speculate like multiple times he speculates whether like how these Martians see them. Mm. Like are they are they more evolved? Do they think of us in the same way we think of a, a cloud of angry bees when we swat a, a nest? Do they he was speculating, do they perceive us as intelligent creatures on a par with them, or they do they see us as just like, you know, uh, 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 something a acting upon its nature when they've disturbed yeah. its nest or this something? This is not like a war, this is a cull. Yeah. Like they're they're just trying to, I think like you know they're they're laying the foundation for a home and they don't care that they've stomped on an ant hill or or torn it up mm. or something like that. Um, there's there's a lot of a lot of speculation on that. And again, it's something that I'll, I'll save for my my uh, bit of uh, a talk on the end from like the historical context because there's there's a lot. There's a lot that can be said about the mindset of the time in the way this was written and the way the characters think, act, and talk. Yep. Um, and I find that just... I always find that stuff very interesting. Anyway, uh, so that happens. And I think at this point, he ends... Does he end up on that boat with the dude yet? No, so this is the point where... He, wait, uh, boat with the dude? The dude that just, like, it goes off rambling and praying... Sort of. I don't remember there being a boat there, though. It could be in the original one and not in the radio. Yeah, I'm trying to remember so now. he's found by... It's not... The word's not priest. What's the word? I can't remember. They used a word. I didn't... I actually didn't know hmm. the word. I'm, I'm usually quite proud of my vocabulary, but I don't actually... I didn't know the word he was using. Um, well, until we find it. He's found by a priest after he's, like limped away a little bit he collapses passes out and he comes to with his priest mm. standing over him um dead like deathly thirsty just going like you know water and mm. the guy's like you've asked for water every time that you've woken or something yeah. like that and the priest is i want to know more about the priest because 
I'm sure it fleshes it out more in the book, but um, there's kind of mixed messages on the radio version. Like, I, I understand all the events that happened to him, just not the chronological order in which they happened. Mm. Uh, because this priest has a wife, or had a wife, called Beth. And when the aliens emerged, he saw this as a... Angels of Death, I think he calls them at one exactly. point, coming down. And... This is an equivalent of the, the Great Flood. And that God is wiping yeah. away the sins of humanity. Um, mm. And he even says he thinks that his own wife, Beth, is a demon sent by Satan. And then Beth tries to rescue his, um, his holy Bible given to him by his uncle... And it's been passed down through, like, four generations. Goes into this church to get the Bible. The church collapses and kills Beth. And the pastor, like, sinks to his knees and is saying, why have you taken one of your own Satan? Like, he's really confused, really fucked up in the head, and his wife just died in front of him, trying to save his own yeah. religion. It's, it's pretty much, like, it's implied through a lot of this... Um... I think Nathaniel's his name. A lot of like a lot of the interactions with this guy, like as it goes on, it's very clear that this guy has just like he's snapped. Mm. Like and he's just like he's basically his sanity has been completely fragmented to the point where now he's just wildly gripping at any sort of explanation for any reasonable explanation for what's happening around him. Um and it's interesting um He's one of the few characters that does seem to like outright break and panic. Like there's there's a decent amount, and I, I have some I have some thoughts on why that is. Mm. But um, he seems to be one of the the few characters that actually do like completely. Yeah, which is ironic because something that's mentioned several times in different ways is that you know that shit's really got real when even the clergy. And and the the priests are renouncing God, essentially. Um, yeah, I'm. God, I wish I could remember what the hell he was called. Because it it wasn't a no, priest. No, it was like Proctor or something. Um, Proctor, that actually sounds right. And I don't know if he was actually. Yeah, but either way, who he is isn't necessarily as important as the interaction that these two have. Mm. I think at one point they... So they, they managed Parson. to finally... Parson, thank you. Um, yeah, go on. It's, it's, I'm sorry. Um, I What's that, that Christmas song? In the meadow we can build a snowman And we can pretend he is Parson, Parson Brown, Brown. This is Parson that was, Brown. That was what... I, I know, this is the only... T but that's the only other time I've heard that word mm. before is Parson. Um, okay. Actually, maybe his last so name is Sorry. <laughs> they managed to get to a house, I believe. At yeah, some they point. make it to a house. And in that house, they're they're going around trying to find like food, and, and they they do find some food and things, and I, I believe they uh, they find some provisions. <laughs> they don't ever mention water. The provisions they find is like they find food and they find burgundy. Yeah. Wine. 
Well, I think I don't think and they even find the wine at first. Somehow the priest later finds the wine, and George is like, "How the fuck did you get this?" <laughs> yeah. So, but what happens? They get to this house, and while they're in the house, um, like it collapses because another capsule hits nearby yeah. and like crushes. They the say it lands on the house. Yeah. I'm like, how the hell is the how what <laughs> physics? So it partially, it partially collapses. Yeah. And they end up, like, basically holed up in the rubble of this house, not wanting to go out. In the cold cellar. Daring to, daring to, they actually say in the book, and the, the, I love the, again, this, this is the narrator's, like, adventurous spirit here. Like, risking death and dismemberment, they're, they're crawling out to just, just to see. There's no reason that they want to see, but they're, they're curious enough that they want to get to the edge and see what these Martians are doing. And they learn a lot about the Martians. Yeah, I think they find... Don't they find, like, a dead one, and they... So, they see for a start that, in fact, they are still really struggling with the gravity. And it's actually mm. weird to George how the actual aliens look like broken tools, whereas the machines the Martians make look far more lifelike to him. Yeah. Um, and one of the things they speculate on, I, I really thought this was cool was because this was this was like right as uh the philosophy of eugenics was starting to like pick mm. up like it didn't it didn't reach its peak until the 20s i i want to say but the idea of like you know genetics and of like you know scientifically you know observing the world was really starting to pick up around this time and so uh he references like a paper of you know somebody who had speculated that eventually you know in human beings they're their hands would continue to grow and become more dexterous and more prominent and they would lose musculature and lose lose hair and all the other things as chemistry and technology augmented mm. us it would be brains and the ability to manipulate machinery would be it and so he speculates these martians have reached that state where they're just a head a mouth and different tentacles and hands to manipulate things. two things um one thing that's actually mentioned at the end but it's not a spoiler is they're talking about the aliens say the true threat from the aliens despite them being bigger than a human wasn't in any way their physical capabilities it was purely their minds yeah uh, go on. and the uh the, the thing he he says at that point is like he, he speculated why they were all like naked and then he realized he he, he came to the conclusion that they changed bodies like we change clothes. Like, the aliens would sit inside of the tripod, or the alien would sit inside mm -hmm. of this other machine, or he would sit inside, and they would essentially just get inside whatever mechanical apparatus. They would choose their body to the purpose they needed to do, whereas we would choose the outfit for whatever yeah. we needed to do. They were, in some ways, just walking brains, which would put themselves into um, something and make it work. Uh... Yeah. Which also led their interesting eating habits they found out about now. You want to talk about that? Because I actually don't remember too much about so, that. So, it was at this point that the modification to the tripods was noticed that they, some of them had, like, large baskets and they were collecting humans. Oh, right. And yeah. the parson was like, oh, how lucky for them. They're not going to be murdered. Uh, and then those people were being brought back to, uh, let's say, a... Processing plant. Good choice of words. And then the aliens were 
taking the... Rather than eating people, the more efficient way of doing things that was best for them, that didn't use energy and it just gave them the pure nutrients, was that they were taking all the blood from humans and then injecting it directly into their veins. Yeah. Exsanguinating them is the uh, technical term. Which, if if you're smart, that's the point where you work out how the book's going to end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. that happens, and um, basically, they, they hold up in this house for quite a while. I think it's something like 14 days. Um, mm. And they're driving each other only crazy. Exactly, because the the parson is a bit of a dumbass. Like he has no. It's it's made clear that he has no self control. He's like just. He's like you know whatever. I'm just gonna I'm gonna ramble and rant to myself. I'm gonna up. eat all the food. Eat, I'm not gonna ration anything. Mm -hmm. Oh look, we found a bottle of wine. I'm gonna drink this whole thing right now, and like he just he does that repeatedly and to the point where I think the the, <clears throat> the way the narrator describes it, George, uh, he goes like. It's like, I tried first to win him over with persuasion and argument, then with threats, and finally with force. Mm. And um, basically, he just beats the shit out of him because he keeps eating all their food. And the day when he beats the shit out of him the worst, he knocks the, guy, the priest out. No, he actually mm. pulls a knife. And he's like, if you don't shut the fuck up, because the priest is saying, Lord, forgive me. I've done these things. He's shouting yeah. it. They're trying to be stealthy, and he's shouting. And so George is like, if you don't be quiet, I'm going to stab you. And they get into a fight. George ends up stabbing the pastor. Pardon? Parson? Parson. Parson. And the priest goes unconscious. Not dead, unconscious. Yeah. But then... It's it's enough of a blow to like knock him down. And then the aliens, hear, having heard this noise, and George hides, um, the they, they come in and he... They don't. George doesn't see this, but he describes hearing the sound of something very heavy being dragged from the room. And um, so, yeah, they they come in and they grab the parson. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I think he stays in there for a while longer. Goes a little bit delirious from hunger and thirst, um, barely managing to subsist on what was the left. Red weed. The red wheat. Well, they they do talk about that. It um, covers the people I mean, at one point. <coughs> so basically, some of the 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 Martians apparently brought seeds and plants with them as well. Uh, the most prevalent one. I think they they talk about how only one of them really ever took over really and actually sweat, managed yeah. to spread. And that was the red weed, which I they describe it as like basically like, it's just it's just ragweed but red. Mm. And I think that the implication here is that. Again, the author speculating on what plant life would be like on Mars that would give it that red appearance. Mm. Like, oh, the plants must also be red. Um, which, again, I just, I love the imagination of the time. Um, so, eventually, he manages to come out. He is a, a bit delirious. dog barking. And he's like, mm. oh, shit, dog, you need to be quiet. <laughs> and he, specula he speculates on two things. One, oh, like, oh, God, the dog is going to give me away. Or two... Maybe I can lure the dog in here it. and kill it yeah. and eat it. Um, which, again, he's been in there for two weeks at this mm. point. Um, just delirious under the ground, thirsty, hungry, and mildly insane from isolation. 
Um, and but guilt. he goes out and he, and well, and guilt, yeah. He goes out and he finds that they're gone. Like the 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 whatever Martian apparatus was around is gone now. And so he goes off wandering again, trying to continue his journey where he needs to go. I think he finds like a pump with some water uh, to to finally revitalize him a little bit. But he, he's making like really shit progress because he's so emaciated and weak mm. from his long in encampment in the ruined house. Um, he makes it to London. No, if I remember right, does he stop somewhere before London? He, he sees a figure crouching. In a woodland area. I said the woodland area. Okay. I thought, for some reason, I thought he was going to London. All right. Doesn't matter. And uh, the figure, if I remember right, is this, is this our, our favorite character? Yeah, okay. This is the part I thought it was. Uh, so the figure challenges him and tells him, you know, to hold where he is. And he's like, okay, things have already kind of degraded. Like, this guy doesn't want me mm, near so him. So this is my and territory. There's then, no food here. Yeah, and then they recognize each other, and it's the artilleryman from mm. earlier. Uh, and the artilleryman says, "I thought you drowned," and the other guy said, "I thought you burned." <laughs> <laughs> and then they they both like speculate on you know how lucky they they each are and everything like that. They have a little bit of a heart to heart, and the artilleryman uh, goes through his plan for the future. This is my favorite song. Which. It, okay, well, I'd lo- I actually want to hear this song now, because honestly, the plan itself is kind of interesting. So he's speculating that the Martians will essentially treat humans like cattle or like animals. And that, um, you know, the ones that cooperate, and the ones that deal with them and don't challenge them, they'll be essentially left alone to either roam the wilds or to maybe be pets or mm. something like that. And he's he's thinking that the best plan is to have like an underground where people like you know people you know stay and they 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 preserve their knowledge and they keep the the free human race going in these underground communities secret from the Martians. They return to their an original savage like state where the only the strong are allowed in, and mm. go. But not no. But the, he actually he separates that from the the savage ones because the savage ones are just going to go out there and essentially become tribal. But the ones in his community, they keep they keep only the strong mm. so that they... But for two reasons. they The strong will... A, so they will eventually be able to defeat the Martians. Yep. And B, so that they, they... But they also want to maintain and preserve as much knowledge as possible. So not just the physically strong, but also the mentally adept. They want them all in those communities to try and... But not any of that rubbish-like poetry, as he says. Um, yeah. <laughs> real things like I science and um, he says yeah we need the important things like um, oh, what was it schools prisons and something else libraries I think yeah um, and-, and we'll play each other at cricket <laughs> very British <laughs> yeah and so they they have this this long like diatribe, and the the main character is like won over. George is won over by this mm. this long diatribe, and so he brings him into his his area there and finds out they've got some you know some he's got some limited provisions, including some champagne and cigars, yeah. which they indulge in. Well, the first because they don't get the champagne and cigars till after the first bit of digging. 
Hmm. Oh yeah, that's true. He's he's planning to dig a tunnel or to dig like like an underground bunker to the or local something sewer like that. system, and that's where they'd start. Um, but when George yeah. sees the hole that he had made, so it took him a week to dig a hole of ten feet long, which George says he could yeah. do it a day in his head. Uh, and that's the first yeah. moment where he really thought the difference between the artillery man's dreams and reality. That was the the real distance between them. Yeah. Especially because the artilleryman multiple times like, oh, we need to take a break. You know, you got to take a break from work. Can't work all the time. And then George starts to piece it together, like how much the guy in his original speech was emphasizing that we don't make them mad. We just hide in the hole and wait. Mm. And he realizes the guy's just he's he's coping in his own way. Yeah. and so after they have their champagne and cigars, and I think it's while he's smoking a cigar chess. on the roof. They do play chess, that's true. And uh, George beats him handily three times. Yeah, well, he was surprised uh, by that, to be honest. <laughs> I think in the, in the book, they say after three... They actually say that the artillerymen put up a good fight, but they won all three mm. games. Um, but it, yeah, after the chess game and everything, George is on the roof smoking a cigar, or finishing one of the cigars they had. And he's thinking to himself and realizing he sees the f- he, he resolves to himself that he can't stay with this he guy. sees the flashes like in he's got to go find it beyond the hill yeah and he's like i've, I've got to go find my mm. wife like i'm not gonna be caught up in this pipe dream he also because we've gone we've, we've kind of skipped over <clears throat> we need to go back a bit to talk about carrie's journey and brother so they don't talk too much about carrie in the book yeah, um, John, should we go with the? Do you remember the brother storyline pretty well, or should I do the Carrie I mean, storyline? Go go for the Carrie storyline. Okay. Uh, the brother. I mean, the, I already told the bulk of what I remember of the the brother storyline. Him meeting up with the pair of women on the road, them having the the issue well, with the encounter there. So, Carrie, uh, when the, the, Carrie's at Leatherhead, left when George went back to working or whatever yeah. it was. Um, and a soldier comes by the house and he says, we're evacuating the village. Everyone's got to leave. Their tripods are coming. So she Mm -hmm. tries to persuade George's cousins to get on the train with her, but they won't go. So she gets on the train and goes along to the next village, I think. At some point she gets on the road towards London and she sees two women being harassed for their cart by a guy. And she okay. joins. This them. is literally the brother's yeah. storyline, yeah. But they just replace it with Carrie. Uh, okay. On this, so and it's it's the opposite direction because she's coming from Leatherhead, he's coming from mm. London. And... Um, that's that was loud. a little bit loud. Um, uh, they on the road to London, people are getting like trampled. That's the thing that happens throughout this. Quite a few people get trampled. Mm. Yeah, I completely forgot about this. They they get to like a crossing, right? And there's a bunch of people all going around. There's carts that won't mm. move. And I think in the book, it's the brother. And he, he tells the woman with the revolver, like, if the guy behind us starts trying to run us off the road, point your gun at his horse. Yeah. No, no. First he says, point the gun at the driver. And he says, no, point the gun at the horse. Because that's more valuable and freaks him out more. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, so it's a bit of a boring trick, in my opinion. But, whatever. It serves to add context to what was going on outside of the purview of George. And they get fairly near London, 
and then they're stopped by uh, a couple of guys and the the narration beforehand is law has completely broken down the military has kind of disbanded there's even a few submarines that were meant to be helping which just disbanded uh, what's the word revolted you know what I mean mutinied yeah and the new like so the new show of force in the country was like the farmers because the farmers had shotguns Hell yeah. and so the three ladies were going towards London they were almost there they were on their horse and cart and a couple of guys stopped them and they said right this horse belongs to us well, don't they now. requisition yep. it we yeah, are the Westborough yeah. Council uh, representatives we've got shotguns this is ours now if you're really good you can have a bowl of horse stew um Otherwise, get out of here. So they just leave because there's not much they can do in that situation. Yeah. And eventually they make it to London. Do you know what happens from there? So no, because it's it's the reverse oh, okay. of what happens in the book because they're going away from London in the book. So they get to London. It, and in fact, in the book, I believe they're actually trying to get out of the country. Yeah. They're like I think in the book they were going to Essex or somewhere and they were gonna go from there to try and like leave the country for the continent. So they get to London and then they go to the place where that they can leave the the country. Um, yeah, so it's it's the same in the book. They just it's the, they're going in a different direction. So Carrie gets into London, and uh, all the people in London are super chill about everything that's going on still. Uh, even though, like, the, the one worrying thing is that every so often these weird uh, brown blobs are floating down the Thames. Yes. Yeah, I remember Which this. is essentially the mutated corpses of people further upstream, I'm assuming. Um, and <clears throat> because there are so many people coming to London from the rest of the country who are evacuating, she said there's... Um, it's strange to see... Poor people walking around the streets with very rich people who are also looking muddied and dirty, and it's like nothing she'd ever seen before. She got absolutely shilled for a uh, room for the night because it, it's very little places to stay. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, when whenever you know, refugees coming in from all over the countryside, mm. where are they going to stay? It's already a pop, you know, huge, well-occupied city. Uh, so she got an attic room, and in the morning, the sirens were blaring, people were panicking, there were sh smashed windows everywhere. She actually grabs a bike from out of a shop window that's smashed with a punctured tyre. Go on. This happens in reverse. So this is how um, the brother gets out of London. Is he a, a bicycle, he loots a bicycle from a mm. shop. Uh, and he gets it out, but only with a punctured tire. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how they've they've used the same elements, but they've kind of reorganized and How them. she managed to cycle with a punctured tire, I don't fucking know. It's easier to walk than cycle with a punctured tire, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends on the, the bike. I've done it before. It's difficult, yeah. but it's still faster than walking. Um, and so she gets to the, uh, the river, and there are boats that are absolutely full to bursting. She just about managed to get a place as the um, as the ferry sets off. No, wait. Ferry hasn't set off yet. They're trying to squeeze as many people on as they can. And then the tripods yeah, appear. Yeah, I remember this. In the horizon. Yeah. And everyone's like, shit, yeah, I, I go. I think 
Go. They, they make a point in the book about how it was the the captain was uh, loading people on essentially until uh, there was not a single space left mm. to stand on the deck. Um, yes, yeah, so they saw the tripods and everyone was like, just gotta leave now. Now or never. Yeah. Yeah. Which led to probably the greatest battle. <laughs> I don't know, at least in the musical form, it's so epic. Um, I don't know how it went down, but I'd like to hear the, the book version of, of this. I mean, the, the book version of the battle is actually fairly I mean, swift, bare bones. But, yeah. yeah. Well, in the book, it is. It's very swift. It's very bare bones. It's just, you know, the things come over. They start, you know, shredding stuff with the lasers. There's, like, some kind of a gas that they, they put mm. out. and Poison gas. Um, yeah, they use poison gas. They use the, the heat beams. People are, you know, getting slaughtered. They... they take down some buildings mm. and it's it's all over very quickly i honestly don't remember too much about it from so the ferry from the audio is making its way out and in the harbor is um an ironclad called the thunder child mm. yeah um which puts itself between the uh tripods and the ferry um mm. and so the tripods start going into the water, trying to cut off the, the ferry. And the ironclad takes a, turns about and steams full force at one of them. Specifically not firing mm. their guns, I think it says in the book. Because if they're firing the guns, then the tripods would have seen it as an imminent threat and just blasted it. And attacked yeah. them, but instead they, they go for the ram. But instead, the, so the tripods fire a, uh, a gas canister of the black smoke... Oh yeah, this so this is something that we we kind of glossed over earlier. The chemical weapons they use, they they do talk about this earlier when the artillery is attacking the tripods. Mm. They they mention that the tripods what they do is they fire these canisters out towards where there could potentially be artillery and they don't explode, they just smash and release a gas cloud that kills everything in in the general yeah. area. Um and the thunderstorm just goes straight through the smoke. The aliens aren't expecting it, and they just slice through one of the tripods, just absolutely obliterate mm. it. And people are just like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> people start cheering and another everything. one bites the dust. Uh, and then the other tripods like, "Oh fuck!" They all fire heat, heat beams at once at the ship, and it like it gets mm. absolutely decimated. It explodes. But with the momentum it's got, it explodes, it flies up, and it destroys another tripod in its death throw as it comes out of the water. Mm. Oh, fuck, that's awesome. And also just the name Thunderchild. What a fucking name for a ship. Um, and then, yeah, the narrator says, and with that, uh, as the Thunderchild sank to the bottom of the ocean, the last chance for humanity went with it. But yeah. the ferry got away. But the ferry got away. And the people got away. And the thing is, all of this is happening in England. Yeah. And so you're kind of left to wonder, is this happening in the rest of the world? Is this going on anywhere else? That's the um, thing. It's definitely written by an Englishman because <laughs> they briefly mention, like, Berlin and Paris. But, like, if they mm. can defeat England, they've won the whole world. Like... America's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is like they've um, I mean this was at 
like one of the high points of the British mm. Empire. So it, it's it's pride, but it's well deserved pride at that point yeah. because at that point the British had kind of conquered the world. Yeah. Um. So, uh, where were we? Um. So I think then we can flick back to George's perspective now. Flick back to George for a sec. Sorry for that brief interruption. Uh, needed a little bit of an. Uh, what do I say? I want to say interim. That's not the right word. A musical break, anyway. <laughs> Interlude. I did. Uh, yeah, I did listen to just now. Um, interlude. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, while uh, that was happening, Blue had me listen to one of the songs from the musical version, specifically the musical rendition of the scene we just talked about with the Thunderchild taking on the tripod things. And oh man, I got goosebumps listening to that. That was that mm. was a that was a really good song and it's a really good like ballad of the battle like that's yeah like you look forward to the points when the person's talking because it's telling the story really well mm. but in the parts where he's not talking there's like awesome fucking guitar and just sounds so good great instrumental and it's got like like an 80s rock <laughs> ballad kind of sound to it when he's singing about like the the thunder child mm. on the ship anyway so where we left off it so it cuts back to george yes and um, he's now, I believe, made it. This is days later. Days later, he makes it into. I think I can't. I thought it was London. Yeah, he makes it to London. He makes it to London, and there's devastation all around. Yeah. Um, like he doesn't really see any human beings around. There's the you know there's bodies. There's buildings destroyed, scorched earth. There's red weed everywhere. Um. And then what he finds, and this is, I think, a, kind of a brilliant twist uh, to the story, uh, or a brilliant way for the this this whole thing to resolve. Uh, no, he, I think he's like hiding somewhere, or he's like trying not to. He hears so, like a moaning or some kind of a loud noise. He, he, he at the beginning of that Thunderchild song, mm. did you? I don't know if you picked up on it. There was a um, particular part where it went ooh la. Yeah, that ooh la is is the the sound that the the fighting machines made to one another it was their communication that's what it, okay yeah and so he heard this song in london but it not that that sound in london but it was different and it was darker kind mm. of and it un, uneased him uh, and he saw one of these machines standing atop a hill nearby yeah. and there were birds flocking around the top of it and i think at one point he i think he just finally breaks and he's like you know what Screw it! I'm not going to be the last man on earth. If I'm going to go out, you know, I'm going to go out, and he, he charges the thing. Yeah, and he's screaming, "Take me!" Yeah, uh, he's just yeah. It's like fuck you. I'm not going to go out like a bitch. And then he gets to the top of the hill, and the Martians are all dead and dying. Mm. Um, and it's then kind of revealed again because this is written from the perspective of him retrospectively looking back on his experiences uh, that. The Martian environment apparently does not have a plethora of viruses and bacteria and things that, you know, microorganisms. They them. Yeah, exactly. Centuries ago. So they have a very sterile environment. And because of that, when they came down to Earth, they're basically just being killed by diseases that they have no natural immunity to. Mm. And they're being, like, you know, wiped out that way. When man's greatest machines were unable to kill them the single smallest thing on the planet that God God put on the planet. Yeah. Wiped them out. Um, and he says that's, that is the 
price that humanity has paid in the billions over the years, uh, but it is their claim to Earth. Yeah. And there's there's something to be said about that, too, because, like, people... Well, I'll, I'll get. I'll, I have a lot of a lot of philosophizing, a lot of speculation to say at the end of this. But let's. So wrapping up the story, he ends mm-hmm. up going into a bit of a uh, a fugue state where he just kind of forgets a few three days, and a uh, like a well-meaning family takes him He's in, found, and yeah. kind of nurses him back to health, and eventually he decides he needs to go back to Woking, mm-hmm. um, and they they tell him he shouldn't because you know dark memories and he shouldn't revisit there. Yeah. Um, he gets there and his house is, of course, devastated. He finds a philosophical paper where he was writing and he had a sentence that was half finished. Uh, and as he's leaving his house, who should be there? Oh, he also finds out that Leatherhead was completely destroyed. Yeah, a lot of the... Um, he actually had to... When he was going home, he got to Leatherhead hmm. and they were still building the replacement tracks to his actual village, so he had to walk the path that he did when he originally went from Leatherhead back to Woking. Hmm. Um, and so he's he's basically just thinking... Retracing his steps. Yeah, he's thinking, my, my cousin's dead, my wife's dead, like, no one's no one's around. And then, but when he, he leaves his house after having, like, looked around... Um, they're looking kind of shocked and astonished is his wife and cousin. Mm. And um, I think, and I, I do want to read that because there's, he goes through a little bit of speculation at the end about how there could be like, will the Martians go for future invasions? Have they maybe tried to colonize yeah. Venus instead of Earth, we'll finding it a softer target? Like he speculates as to... You know, will will life spread out from the solar system, seeding the rest of the universe from here? Um, and will it be them or us? He said they had a... Um, everyone is familiar with the aliens now because they um, preserved one in the Natural History Museum in London. Yeah. And they also say... He, he does imply that they did get land all over the place. The thing he says, you know, they, they reigned upon a thousand cities or something like that. Yeah. Uh, he says that near the end of the book, but the line he says at the end, and it, I honestly found this to be kind of like a, a bittersweet moment. Like it was, it was a good thing, but at the same time, it shows that, you know, their lives have been somewhat traumatized. What he says is, and strangest of all is to hold my wife's hand again and to think that I have counted her and that she has counted me among the dead. Yep. And it just it that one line kind of encapsulates everything. It's they're back together. He it's a somewhat happy ending. He's still got his family, like they're together again and they're rebuilding the world. But that trauma is still there. They've both experienced believing the other one was dead and having sort of come to terms with that mildly, hmm. um, and then found out they were alive again. So it's I just, I really liked that that ending line in the book. Yeah, oh. it really sets up well for uh, another. Really, it's sad that they're. I don't know if they. Maybe someone did write another one. I've. I've. Maybe. I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up. Um, they did have a little bit at the end, which I think was set a lot later, where it's a NASA control person. Was that, that in the book? That might be in the radio thing. That is not in the book at all. Okay, so it's just a very short snippet where. Someone from NASA is saying, uh, we've made our first touchdown on Mars. 
and then there's some kind of dust storm and they lose communication and then the radio operators in the different parts of NASA all lose connection with each other as well suggesting there is going to be more or there is more to it but you just got to imagine it yourself and that would have necessarily have to have been added much later than when the book was published because NASA yeah. didn't exist definitely didn't exist <laughs> <laughs> no I, think, I don't think it existed until the 60s um mm. But yeah, so what I've been kind of sitting on this whole time and what I think I found fascinating about this whole book is it almost is a a premonition for what actually happened to Europe about 15 years later. It wasn't aliens, but World War I um, is, it's, a lot of historians refer to it as the time where Europe essentially lost its sense of optimism. Because before World War I and the, absolutely devastating like loss of human life that happened there europe in general and especially you can see this in the writings of the time and the way like the people thought and acted um mm. <clears throat> it was a very much like gung-ho we're like we can do anything you know you know we can accomplish anything with science we can we can help yeah. the world we can we can there's you know, a lot of characters like that say that are just like the British Army are on it, alright? Calm down. We're gonna go back to having a drink. Because the British Army are unstoppable. Yeah. There's this this profound sense of, of confidence and self-assurance. And that's mm. what I found kind of prescient, was at the end of this book, they've lost that to an extent. They, yep. they've, they've been traumatized by the events and found that they're not the kings of the universe. And ironically, and a bit... Unfortunately, like 15 years later, that would happen. And it wouldn't be because of, you know, Martians. It would be because of actual human war. Yeah. Um, so it's it, that that in particular was, was kind of interesting to me. And also just the the way like people's attitude that something I wrote down when I was before we started recording this, I just wanted to get some of my thoughts down um, was like one kind of the, the way things broke down that happens the same way in this story as it does in a lot of like modern disaster movies but they put less emphasis on it like in this book i feel like because it was in the 1800s they're a lot closer to kind of you know what it's like the, the sort of things you need to actually survive yeah like people people were a lot more practical at that time um nowadays when you see like a disaster movie like it it's like played up as this this really big thing it's like the utilities like don't work. Fucking idiots. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in this, people were a lot more practical, mm. and I think it, it's telling of the time that people had a lot more practical and world world weary is not the word I want to use, but they were a lot more worldly. They they understood. Yeah. 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 They understood what you needed to survive. Mm. Even this guy who was a philosophy, a philosopher, like he wasn't like somebody who worked with his hands or anything like that, but he still knew enough to know what he needed to do mm. uh, yeah no just a amazing book um, I I don't know if I would um, refer people to the original or to the radio version I think both are phenomenal mm. uh, but I would certainly well read one of them and definitely listen to the um, the the album as well yeah, the book 
It's cracking. The book isn't terribly long. Like, I think the no, copy I have is just shy of 160 pages, 156 mm. pages. And I also had the audiobook, and that was uh, around... You could knock it out in a day quite easily. It was five, five and a half, six <laughs> hours. Like, I was, I was yeah. listening to about a half hour to an hour a night, and then I would also read, like, the physical copy for a little bit if I wasn't in a situation where I could listen to the audiobook. Yeah. Um, and I, I got through it in a week. And yeah, you could easily bang it out in a day. And it is quite good. And it's, it is very interesting, especially if you're one of those people who likes, like I do, to see like, uh, see it like a time capsule. What did people yeah. think? Like, what was, what was sci-fi like? And also a very scientific approach thing. Like, they didn't destroy the aliens with nukes, which is every apocalypse yeah. story ever these days. That was a really genuinely interesting scientific explanation. And they said the same with... We missed little bits out. Um, mm. But, like, the red weed started dying because it had the same problem as the aliens. Yeah. It was getting white patches on it because the bacteria in the on Earth was not what it was used to and it was being killed. Exactly, yeah. They, they, it, they He speculated that they had... Yeah, they had a more sterile environment than the Earth. Um mm. And I that that line that you brought up earlier that was another very good one. It's like we've paid the price in billions, you know, of of humans that have died to disease over the course of the years. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've we've gone on uh, quite a long time in this. I think we're indeed. clocked in around like a an hour and twenty some odd minutes. Um, yeah. So, but excellent book. I really enjoyed talking about it, and I. I think it was it was worth going on this long about it. Mm, Hopefully, you guys, absolutely. you know, anyone in, uh, listening agrees. I think I may actually publish just this segment as its own separate thing too, just for funsies. Because yeah, it was a bit of a media segment, really, wasn't it? <laughs> we really did. Yeah, the, we, we, <laughs> it was supposed to be like a quick, like forty-minute book review, and then we ended up talking for more than an hour. So yeah, but it was good. All right. Well, this is going to be the end of episode 80 of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening. And you will hear us again in two weeks for episode 81. <laughs> Ooh la.